But I want to start by just reminding you, and I, I, I hope this is actually not true in your experience, but I imagine it is true in your experience. Church folks are often more known by what we fight over and who we hurt and who's in charge and who thinks they're right than the compassion and the concern that we're supposed to have. Jesus said in John chapter 13 and verse 35, he said, they're going to know you're my disciples, not by who's got the loudest mouth, not by who's in charge, not by who makes them mad. None of those, what is it that he said? He said, it's because of the love you have for one another. That's how they're going to know that you're my followers. Then so why is it then, and I ask rhetorically, but just think about this, why is it then that Christians are often gnarled up in political fights, gnarled up in cleaning up, and this is unfortunately the reality in too many of our churches, of not just of, uh, certainly of independent Baptist uh, ilk, but others as well. Too many of us are spending time having to clean up after sexual scandals, having to fight over personal personality differences, and we all kind of look at each other just a little bit suspiciously, don't we? Again, I hope that ain't happening here, but let me just go ahead and give you, because if it does happen, it might, you might need this when it does start happening here. It might be a help to you. Well, James asks that very question in James chapter 1. Just look at verse, verse excuse me, James chapter 4, look at verse 1, just to start off here. He says there, from whence come wars and fightings among you? So this is not a new problem. I mean, this is a couple thousand years ago. He's asking churches this question. Why, why are y'all fighting amongst yourselves? Why is this going on? Why is this happening? Why do we have this fighting amongst ourselves? What's come wars and fightings among you? I want to just pause for a moment and I would like you to join me in a word of prayer, asking the Lord to help me to share this with you and help you to hear from him. Would you do that with me? Let's pray together. Lord, I've got a thought here that I believe that you've given me. I believe more important than my thought, it's what the scripture says. I want you to help me to be faithful to the word. I want you to help me to be bold in what I say, not because I'm bold, but because your word is bold. And Lord, I pray that your Holy Spirit will take, take these words, anoint your speaker, but take these words and use them in the hearts of your church. This is your church. I believe you died for this church. I believe that this is a church that you are using. And I pray, God, that you will take your words and help them, encourage them, exhort them, uh, correct them where they need to be corrected. But Lord, please use your word to be effective. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Why is it that church meetings, church business meetings have a bad name? Now, again, I, I don't know. Y'all might have the best church, meet, church business meeting I ever heard of. But I'll tell you, I can't think of anybody. When they say church business meeting, they say, let me go. Nobody wants to go to that. Why is that? Why is it that there would be things that go on in a church business meeting that would be appalling in an executive boardroom? Why is that? Why is that? Why is it that church hurt is not just a real thing, it's a thing that's too well known by people. Why is that? Well, James gives us an answer here. He says, where's this come from? Come they not hence, even of your lusts that war in your members. He says, 
the fussing and the fighting and the squalling and the interruptions and the anger and the frustrations and all of that that's going on, that is happening because there is lust that war in your members. Now, when y'all hear that word lust, I don't know what y'all conjures up, but sometimes you, you sort of go in a particular direction with that. But don't. Just understand it's anything... Any kind of desire that's in your heart that's out of whack, that's not right. We're not just talking about sexual deviant stuff. We're talking about anything, any desire for your, what you want. It's what you want, no matter what anybody else wants, no matter who it hurts. That's what we're talking about here. That's what the scripture is talking about. It's the lust that wars in your members. He says that fussing and that fighting, it's got its root in lust, A lust, he says, if you keep going there, he says in verse 2, you lust and have not, you kill and desire to have and cannot obtain. It's not just a lust, it's bad enough because it's sinful lust, but it's not just lust, it's lust that will never be satisfied. That's why we fight about it. Because I want what I want and I can't ever get it till you don't get what you want. And then when that happens, I still don't get what I want. It's never satisfied. I never get it. And in fact, he talks about how you kill and desire to have. There's some debate whether they were actually murdering one another or not. I don't know if that's the case, if it was, but there's definitely this sense in which they were assassinating one another's character. They were definitely coming after each other in this particular church. And he's saying here that what happens is that people become obstacles to your desires. And what happens to an obstacle to your desire? Anything it takes to get them out of the way. People no longer are seen as souls for whom Christ died. Do you need to understand something? When you're gathered together as a church body, do you know that every person here, and I mean whether they're saved or not, Jesus Christ died for their souls. And you know what? If they are saved, if they have the Holy Spirit in them, they're your brothers and sisters. You're going to rule and reign in eternity with these people. These are your family. So he says, you need to see them like that, not as somebody that's getting in the way of what you want. That's not who these people are. And he says that flows, if you keep reading here, it flows from prayerlessness and faithlessness. Look here in in verse 2. He says, not only that you you fight and all that, he says, you fight and war, yet you have not because you ask not. He says, the reason you can't have your desires met is you're not even asking God for what you need. Again, this is one of those, if you can't say amen, go ahead and say ouch, because I can tell you that's where I am a lot of times. I know what I want, and I fight my my hardest to go get it, but instead I need to stop and get on my knees and say, Lord, this is what my heart wants, and then let him correct me, because I might not even need it. He might tell tell me don't need it. You see what I'm saying? But, But the thing is, we need to start by going in prayer, but the problem is we're not even seeking God's help. What we're doing is just going grabbing what we want, like a little youngin in the store, just grabbing what off the shelf, what we want, even though mama said, no, you can't have it. <laughs> That's how we're operating. But he says no prayer is, is, is part of the problem here. It's or rather this, 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 desire, this desire, this heart's lust, it flows from a heart of, of prayerlessness. But he goes on to say there that when you do ask, verse 3, you ask, And receive not because you ask amiss that you may consume it upon your lust. He says, first of all, you're not even asking God for what you need. You're just going and getting it for yourself. And then on top of that, when you do stop and say, oh, wait, I'm a Christian. I'm supposed to ask God for this. You know what you do? We essentially go to God and say, God, bless the mess that I want. 
I've already figured out what I want, and I don't care really what you think, but I know you're powerful, so give me what I want. Again, that analogy to a little child who just wants what they want, what they want, what they want. Yes, I know it's past my bedtime, but I want a Coca-Cola right now. No, no, son, that's not a good idea. No, son. But we're sitting there saying, Lord, bless the mess that I have tried, that I have decided I want it. So this selfish heart, this heart of lust, wanting what it wants, using other people to get what we want. They're either tools or they're obstacles and not ever even looking to God. And then when we do, we're trying to use him too to get what we want. And this selfish heart is driven by a desire, or rather some wisdom that's out of kilter. Now, for the sake, at, 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 the, at the risk, rather, of confusing you just a little bit, I want, to understand, I want you to understand that this verse doesn't just pop out of nowhere. It's in a context. The context is, we're in chapter 4. What comes before 4? Chapter 3. So you can go backwards a little bit, and you can see his train of thought. So if you'll just run with me for just a second, look backwards a few verses into chapter 3. In verse 14, or rather verse 13, he talks about how there's a wise man that's endued with knowledge. He says, let him show that knowledge out of good conversation with his works with meekness of wisdom. He says, if you're wise, there's going to be a certain way that you operate. But he says in verse 14, but ye have, and he's talking to these people that he's about to ask the question, why are you fighting? He says, ye have bitter envying and strife in your hearts. Glory not, and, if, and lie not against the truth. He says this wisdom, that next verse, verse 15, this wisdom, the stuff that's causing you trouble, this wisdom descendeth not from above, but is earthly, sensual, and devilish. He says these people, he asked them, the next question he asked them in chapter 4, verse 1, where is this fighting and this warring coming from? Where is that coming from? These are the people who are marked by strife, selfish ambition. They want what they want. Those people are marked by strife. They're marked by envying or jealousy. I want what I want, and I don't want you to have it. And when you got it, I want what you got. That's that heart of, that's that heart of lust. And he says that lust in your heart, it is, look at verse 15 again. What is it? What kind of wisdom is that? It's wisdom that doesn't come from above, but is earthly and sensual, and devilish. That wisdom is absolutely, positively worldly wisdom, fleshly wisdom, demonic wisdom. You can mark it down when there's fussing and there's fighting in the church. Mark it down. It may not be one side. It might be both sides. I don't know, depending on what we're talking about. But somebody, somewhere, is buying into some worldly wisdom, some fleshly wisdom, and some satanic wisdom. That's what they've done. They've allowed, instead of looking to the wisdom that comes from above, because if you go down, go, you're still in chapter 3, go to verse, six, uh, verse 17. The wisdom that's from above, what is it? It's pure, then peaceable, gentle, and easy to be entreated, full of mercy and good fruits, without partiality, without hypocrisy. <laughs> this is the kind of wisdom that comes from God. It causes peace, harmony, unity among the brethren. That's what it provides. But when we're buying into the worldly wisdom, I like the way Paul puts about it, talks about this idea over in Ephesians chapter 4. And he goes through this long list of terrible, sinful acts and how people are just fighting and feuding and causing trouble for everybody. And he says in verse 20, he says, 
But you have not so learned Christ. You didn't learn that from Jesus. That's what he says. You didn't learn that from Jesus. That's what's wrong when our churches are fighting and feuding. It's because we've not gotten our wisdom from where we're supposed to get our wisdom from. You know where our wisdom's supposed to come from? From above, where it's peaceful. It is loving. It is kind. Only God's wisdom actually satisfies us. Godly wisdom is peace and love and joy in Jesus Christ. We need our minds. See, the problem is that Romans talks about this, where we need our minds to be renewed. Renewed. Our minds to be renewed. Transformed, he says. Instead, what are we doing? We're conformed to this world. Can I boil it down? I'm going to go to my next point, but let me boil this down for you so you understand exactly what I'm saying. I want there to be no confusion. When there's fussing and fighting amongst people, of God's people, you know where it's causing it? We're buying into the wrong wisdom. We're looking at the world around us saying, now how do they want to do, what, is we, what are we supposed to be doing that? Let's do like they're doing. Instead of saying, what did God say about the matter? We do that. Now I'm, gonna, I'm not going to say that we're always going to agree because sometimes when sin comes into our camps and sin comes into our lives, God's word is going to hurt our feelings real bad. You understand that. But then what happens is if we'll listen to it, we buy into his wisdom, he will transform us. He will change us. He will redeem us. He will fix us instead of us trying to get what each of us wants. So the reason what's wrong with our churches is first we've embraced the wrong wisdom. He goes on in the verse 4 to begin to give us, in verses 4 and 5, he gives us two illustrations that really explain what's going on here. I'd like to read those for you. Verse 4, he says, ye adulterers and adulteresses. <laughs> if you're reading that along with me, and I know I didn't read it all together, but if you're reading that along and really paying attention, it sort of goes from 0 to 60 right there. He just says, what's wrong with y'all adulterers and adulteresses? Oh my goodness, why are you calling me these names? He explains himself. He says, Ye adulterers and adulteresses, know ye not that the friendship of the world is enmity with God. The first illustration he gives us there is he's given this idea of an adulterous affection. Gentlemen, if you're married, I hope somebody has already told you this, but in case they hadn't, let me break it to you. You cannot, it is impossible, to love your wife and have a girlfriend. You can't do it. I hope, nobody, I hope I'm not sharing that with you for the first time. I just hope I'm not. But in case I am, please be on notice. You can't do it. And if you don't know that, ask your wife. See what she says about the matter. Guarantee you those two things do not live together. It's not going to work. And if it does, you need to get a different wife because that wife has got some problems. Let me just tell you. Uh, the reality is we understand this, do we not? Do we not understand this sort of naturally that you can't have those two loves, if you want to use that word, you can't do it. It's not possible. You can then bring that into the spiritual realm. You can either pursue Christ or pursue what your flesh wants. You can't do both. And if y'all don't believe what I just said, go ahead and try it. See how it works for you. And by the way, most of us don't have to go try it because we've done it and we know as they say, we've got the t-shirt to show it. It doesn't work. You can't do it. But instead, if we're going to pursue Christ, what are we going to do? Jesus tells us in Mark chapter 8 and verse 34, you have to deny yourself. Take what your heart wants, your sinful, filthy, depraved heart. Take what it wants and say, no flesh, you can't have that. I'm going to do what Christ wants. 
That's what you have to do. That is what, and the question then becomes, is he worth it? Is he worth it? Now, I think he is. And if you've got to come to that conclusion on your own with the Holy Spirit's help, but I believe he's worth it. And if he's worth it, then no matter what you have to give up, you're willing to do that. You, and this is exactly what happens in a marital relationship, but one that works. You're willing to give up as if you had a choice. Some of you fellas, I know that like you have all these, these women in waiting on you. That's, but anyway, but, but you have to give up all those other girls, right? I only hear one amen. Come on, fellas. Somebody's got to be in agreement with on this one. If y'all ain't agreeing, you got some bigger problems. That said, seriously, you give up all those other people that, because there's this one, and she's worth it. Really, I mean, it's not because you, know, you can't do no better or whatever, all those other, no, she's worth it. I'll do anything. At least I hope you would. Again, if you don't, you need to check your heart. I'm a little worried about y'all just a little bit on this one. I think you understand where I'm coming from, though. Where, more importantly, where the scripture is coming from. He gives that first illustration about an adulterous affection. But the second illustration here is in the second part of verse 4. He says, whosoever, therefore, will be a friend of the world is the enemy of God. He's talking about aiding the enemy. You cannot be a patriot and a spy against your country that you call your home country. You can't. We call those traitors. That's what those are called. There's a bad thing that should happen to them, right? You can't say, well, I love my country, but I'm spying on my country for our enemies. You can't do that. That doesn't work. We know this. But what do we call it when we are supposed to be owned by the Lord, we are the Lord's people, and we have the Holy Spirit telling us how to operate, literally giving us directions and convicting us when we're doing wrong, yet we yield ourselves. That's the language of Romans. Yielding ourselves. We give ourselves over to our fleshly desires. What, what is that called? Well, the Bible kind of calls it traitors. We're saying we're followers of one king, yet we're submitting to another king. It's exactly what he's saying here. The point is, you can't do that. Now, the good news, Christian, the good news is you're going to feel a little resistance. That's what he's talking about in verse 5. He says, do you think that the scripture saith in vain, the spirit that dwelleth in us lusteth to envy? A little confusing language. I understand the King James language there, but essentially the message of it is, is it not true that you have a Holy Spirit of God in you saying, uh-uh, don't do that. That's essentially what the message he's trying to get across there. And if you're a Christian, you have that in you. And I hope some of you know that because you feel it. You commit that sin. You follow into that. You follow what your heart wants. But the guilt comes on because you knew better. The Holy Spirit's talking to you. He brings to mind some passage, some thought that the preacher preached about or a Sunday school teacher shared with you. He brings that to mind. And he brings that to you. Just like... Your, your husband or your wife, if you go stepping out, they're going to let you know about it, right? And if they don't let you know about it, are you really married? I don't think so. Same thing with a Christian. The Holy Spirit's going to let you know when you go out of line. That's the good news for the Christian. But the point is that it's only loyalty to Christ that pays. What happens when churches are fighting, when Christians are fighting with each other, when they're not loving one another, when they're off mission and they're focused more on their heart's desires? What's going on? Their loyalty is in the wrong place. They put their loyalty to the things of this world, the things that Satan has tempted them with, not the, the side of the Lord. 
You see, who's on the Lord's side? That's what we need to be asking. And we just say, whatever way he's going, we're going to go with him. That's the way we want to go. There is good news, though. Go with me to verse, verse 6. But he giveth more grace. But he giveth more grace. Now, if that don't make you happy, you, you either think too highly of yourself, like you don't need some grace. But let me just tell you, I need a lot of grace, and I'm so glad that the Lord gives me more grace. He giveth more grace. He is. He is so good to us. He's so kind to us. Yes, sometimes we do get our loyalties out of whack, and we, we absolutely uh, uh, go to the wrong side. You yield our members' servants to obey unrighteousness. We do that. We sin. Just put simple language on it. We sin. No better and sin. No better. Blow through every stop sign, blow through every barrier, and still sin. But he gives more grace. We get our loyalties out of, out of whack. We're, instead, of seeing, instead of getting our wisdom from, from, the, from, the, from the Bible, we're looking at the media. We're looking at the books and the television and all these other, all the entertainment, the people at our offices and our jobs. We're seeing what they're saying and how they're thinking. And that's where we get our wisdom from. And we get it all out of whack. But he gives more grace. Thank the Lord he gives us grace. But please understand this. And that's what the last part of this passage really emphasizes for us. We're going to go down to verse 10 just to give you a preview of this. We're going down to verse 10, but he tells us, yes, he gives more grace, but this is not cheap grace. This is not a, oops, I messed up. Give me another do-over. I don't know if any of y'all play video games, and if you don't, well, praise the Lord. You're not wasting any time. But um, if, you, if you are somebody that plays video games, you understand this. You can, you know, your little dude can die. And then what happens? He regenerates, right? Get started all over again. And I think sometimes we get this mindset about the Christian life. We can go and we sin and we do something that is completely wrong and the Bible makes it clear it was wrong and we're following our desires of our hearts, the lust of our hearts, and we get caught in a mess and, and the Lord smacks us down, as it were, and he sets us straight and says, boy, you better stop that. And we say, well, okay, I'm fixed now. And we think we're the little video game guy and we're ready to go again. Hang on a minute. That's not how this works. Does he give more grace? Yes, he does. But look at what he says. It's not, oops, it's not turn a blind eye. He says he gives more grace. Wherefore, he said, God resisteth the proud, but giveth grace unto the humble. One of the reasons there's some fighting in our churches and amongst God's people is that we're trying to fix our problems the wrong way. God's prescribed manner of fixing the problems of a sinful heart. And we're going to have them. You get two, three people. Yes, I know when two or three are gathered, the Lord's in the midst. I understand that. But where two or three are gathered, you're going to have differences of opinion all day long. And it's going to happen. And sometimes it's going to get sinful and it's going to get ugly. But God gives more grace. But when he gives us more grace, it's not us saying, well, let's just ignore that. No, no, he gives us an answer here. Look what he says. He resists the proud but gives grace unto the humble. The path to fixing the problem is first humility. we got to understand we messed up. Left to my own devices, left to your own devices, we're going to absolutely foul this thing up. It is going to be so ugly. And in fact, there are some churches that they do. They are. They're so ugly, ain't nobody wanting to come into them. I hope that never happens to this church. But it will happen if we don't start with a heart of humility. Look at what he says there. God gives more grace, but he only gives it to the humble. That's who he gives it to. 
He goes on to say there, then submit yourselves therefore to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Draw nigh to God and he will draw nigh to you. So the path is open to those of a contrite heart. You don't deserve God's grace, but if you'll go to him, he will give it to you. And when you do go to him, you better go to him in faith, knowing he'll accept you. He'll bring you close. He will help you. He will change you. He will transform you. He will bring you in. But you better go knowing, God, you're doing it because you're good, not because I'm good. When I go to him, I know he will. Have confidence. Have faith. So step one, humility. Step two, faith. Believe that God absolutely is true to his word. God giveth more grace. Turn to him. Go to him. But then, don't miss the last part, because I think sometimes we, in this modern era, we, lit, we miss this last step. You'll see it here in just a minute, but we miss this last step. We just think, I'm sorry. Oops, it's all good. You ever done that to somebody? You really hurt them. You really did something. Let me get, I, I sense there's some marital problems here, so I'm going to have to get in on this a little bit. Um, <laughs> that, I'm joking, y'all. So I don't really know anything. You understand that. You do know that, right? I think y'all get a little worried. Oh, my goodness, he knows what we've been up to. I don't. I really don't. But, but, um, but you know how you're fussing and fighting with your wife, man. And, of course, she's wrong, and you're right. We know that. Uh, but y'all fussing and fighting, and you say things you ought not have said. And, and you're too proud to back down, but you finally realize, you know, it ain't never going to get fixed until I say I'm sorry, right? So you go in, and you say, I'm sorry. And you just think she's just going to fall, at her, fall on her knees before your face and before, before you and just on her face and just say, oh, you wonderful man that you are. And, 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 and she knows better because all you're doing is trying to shut it up. Again, don't say amen. Go ahead and just say ouch internally, and that's fine because I know where you I'm just confessing for all of us. That's what we do with the Lord. We say, sorry, God. It's okay now, right? Let's keep on going. No, first of all, that's no humility to begin with. No faith that he's actually going to do what he said he's going to do. But further, this last step is in here, and it is we, meet, we must be people of repentance. Look what he says in verse, uh, beginning verse 8. Rather, the middle part of verse 8. Cleanse your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts, you double-minded. Do you see what he's doing there? He says, get, get, get clean. That sin that has beset you, you need to get rid of it. Get off, get it away from you. Be afflicted and mourn. I think that there's a problem where we're not upset enough about our sin. I think we're just, we're just a little too candy, uh, candid and a little too fine and dandy with our sin. Yeah, it was bad. Ought not have done it. Nah, it's okay. Sorry. Oops. Everybody, nobody's perfect. I mean, this is our attitude towards sin. He says, no, 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 be afflicted, mourn, and weep. But don't miss the next part. He says, let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to heaviness. See there? I think sometimes we can get too frivolous with this stuff. But we've sinned against a holy and righteous God. I'm not ever suggesting that God's, or rather the whole, uh, excuse me, let me say my words right. I'm never suggesting that Jesus Christ's blood is not sufficient to save your sins or cover and pay for your sins. Absolutely it is. But it ought to hurt your feelings a little bit when you sin against God. That, that's the point. He's saying you need to come to God in humility and say, I've made a mess of this thing. Come to him in faith knowing, God, you're the only one that can fix this. And come to him with repentance and saying, Lord, that thing I was doing is bad. I'm going to stop. 
And it upsets me that I even allowed myself to go down that path. And he says, when that happens, look at what happens. Verse 10. Humble yourselves in the sight of God. He's using that as a summary of everything he said before. When you do that, look what he says. And he shall lift you up. He shall lift you up. This is how God blesses churches. This is how God blesses his people. Not by me getting a vision in my heart and I'm going to go chase it. And if you get in my way, I'm going to bowl you over. That's not how God works. That's not his plan. That is the corporate world's plan, right? You get a big old CEO that's got a head full of knowledge and a, and a heart of passion and all these other things. And he's got a few, a few naysayers, so he's just going to vote them out or fire them or whatever he's got to do. That's the corporate world's way of doing things. That's the, that's the government way of things. The church is not that way. You know what the church's way is? We actually have God's very words. And we're going to look and see. That's why we come together in part. We're going to hear from those scriptures. What, is, what does God say? We're going to have a pastor. That y'all have a great pastor. And he's opening the word to say, this is what the Bible says. Why is he doing that? So y'all can look at him and say how smart he is. I hope not. I hope you're doing it to say, well, I want wisdom from above. I want wisdom from above, because then when we have wisdom from above, then we can understand, well, I want my loyalties to be right. I want to follow the Lord in the right way. And we're also going to be not so, so prideful to think we get that right, because we're going to get it wrong more often than we're not. And so what's going to happen is when we mess up, and we are going to mess up, we're going to say, Lord, I'm sorry. Forgive me. I believe that you can forgive me. And I'm going to do everything in my power with the Holy Spirit's help to get rid of that sin and to go the right path. I'm going to do that. That is when he gets about the business of transforming individual testimonies. Some of y'all know this. In fact, I'm sure it's happened here. There's probably some of you that if I gave you the chance right now, you could stand up and say how the Lord has changed your mind and your heart and your life. Why has he, did, why has he done that? Because you were so smart? Because you were so good? Lord, I hope not. He did it because you were humble, you had faith, and you repented. That's why he does that. That's when he can transform families. Families that may be even on the verge of breaking up and divorce and, and all kinds of terrible things happening. That's when he can take and make a, make a church that was barely, had the, barely kept the lights on to be an influence of transformation to the community. That's what God does whenever his people actually seek his face for the solution actually are loyal to him and look to his wisdom for the answers instead of their own desires, their own hearts. I'm closing. And you could be listening to this and you could have maybe two potential reactions. This is the, these are the reactions. When I, when I prepare a sermon, I think about how are people going to listen to what I'm going to say. And sometimes, like this one, there's two reactions that kind of come out pretty obvious. The one, ish, one response is, ah, not, not a problem for me. Somebody needed to hear that tonight, but it ain't for me. I just want to remind you of something that James writes here. God resists the proud, and he gives grace to the humble. So don't forget that. The other extreme, and there's always somebody like this in the crowd, and I appreciate the heart of the matter, but I do want to, want to scold you just a little bit in case this is your reaction. Some of you might be sitting there saying, well, you don't understand. Based on what you said, I'm too far gone. There's no hope. 
I'm so bad. My heart's so messed up. I can't be fixed. It's so terrible. But I want to be reminded of what James says in this passage as well. God giveth more grace. It's not how good you are. It's how good he is. And few of us, there's, I can't imagine, there might be one or two cantankerous ones among us, but I, I can imagine most of us, none of, most of us, none of us are really setting out to have lives that are marked by fussing and fighting. In fact, I would even argue that you go into those churches that are having those kind of knockout drag outs, and you go talk to the, the people at the center of the heart of that, they're probably not going to say, you know what, I got up this morning because I just wanted to have a row. I can't imagine that's the case, but that's not what happens. What happens is we slowly but surely, somewhere along the way, we start buying into the world's wisdom. We start letting our loyalty erode one step at a time. We start, uh, start uh, doubling down on our sin and trying to fix the problem ourselves instead of doing it God's way. See, that's what happens. Little steps and little steps and little steps. So I'm trying to get you to see. I'm, just, I'm closing with this, this idea that what I just said you may say, well, we ain't got no problems here. And I thank God if that's the case. I hope that's the case. But don't think this ain't for you. This is for you too. Or you may say, well, we've been fussing and fighting here for decades. Well, this is still for you too. The point is that you have to not allow, the, allow Satan to get a foothold, a stronghold into this church in any way, whether it's in you individually or a small group of you or even the whole church. You better watch out. He could do that. I want peace. I think you want peace, especially among God's people. I want God to lift us up, and the way that we do that is following his path of humility, faith, and repentance. I'm going to ask you to stand, ask my wife to come and play a closing hymn for us. We're just going to give you a chance to respond. Now, this is one of those kind of sermons. I'm going to go ahead and give you permission. If you don't want to come forward because you don't want anybody to think that you're the one, I understand. I get it. I'll go ahead and stand, though. But I want to encourage you, whether you come and put your knee on this altar or whether you stand where you are and just talk to the Lord, either way you want to do it, please, if there is a heart of lust, Wanting what you want at the expense of anybody else. Even if it's not hurt anybody yet, don't let it hurt anybody. Go ahead and talk to the Lord about it. Go ahead and go to him about it. He gives more grace. Lord, I pray that you'll move among the people. We're going to give them a chance to respond. I know that your Holy Spirit is speaking to some even as I speak to them now. I pray that they listen to his voice over mine. Hear his prompting. Hear his conviction. And Lord, I pray that you will bless this church. Allow it to continue to flourish in this community. Allow this bright light of the gospel to be sent abroad across, across this area and across the world out of this church. But Lord, we know that you'll not lift up this church or any church that is not humble, is not faithful, is not ready to repent. I pray, God, that you will Speak to the men, the women, the young people that are here. Show them the errors of their ways. Especially if it's small and hasn't started to, to really cause a big problem yet. Help them to see it now so they can go ahead and, as they say, nip it in the bud. Cut it off at the pass. Play. I pray, God, that you will work, that you will change, that you will help people right now. I'm asking you, I'm begging you in the name of my Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen.